Hey there, my name's uh, Jesse Carbo. I'm one of the pastors here at the Brook, and I'm so glad that you are joining us. Uh, we are in a series called Dreaming in Color, and I have the privilege of bringing the message uh, to you today. When I was 12 years old, uh, this is basically sixth grade, uh, I got jumped at school for the first time. I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of experiencing being jumped before. It's not great. Uh, as a matter of fact, every year of middle school and high school all the way to my senior year, my face found the end of someone's fists pretty regularly. So needless to say, school was just not a fun place for me. And as a result, um, I was that kid that always just tried to hide amongst the crowd uh, and tried to avoid getting any kind of attention. And for years, I grew bitter at my classmates, at my teachers, and even my parents because I often felt like I didn't have any advocates. I only had enemies. And the truth is we all have enemies, don't we? In today's culture, it, it just seems like it's so much easier to create enemies. I mean, all it takes today to create an enemy is to have a misunderstood social media post or to not even post certain kinds of things on your, on your feed to create enemies. I mean, there's all types of enemies. And I know that when we think about enemies, we might be thinking of the criminal type of enemy, someone who is out to harm you in a very dangerous way. But the reality is most of us deal with the kind of enemy that we might classify as a frenemy. We have people in our lives that we know, people that we work with, people that we consider family, where there is enemy-like behavior in either an aggressive or passive-aggressive way. And the thing is that as a pastor's kid, growing up in the church, going to church a lot, and even reading the Bible a lot, I kept coming across these passages in Scripture that showed me that Jesus is actually calling us to deal with our enemies in a very specific way. And today we're going to be focusing on a passage in Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 48. So if you would follow along with me, it says, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn, them, uh, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your, your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard it, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. And he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And this is a passage in Matthew chapter 5 called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' first kind of sermon as he's unveiling who he is and what's he, what he's about. It's, it's his manifesto of his ministry that he's launching now. Now, as a child of the 80s, I really appreciate the popular Netflix show called Stranger Things. Any fans out there? 
And I mention that because when I read this passage, as I have many times in my life growing up in the church, it kind of reminds me of the upside down. At first glance, when I read this passage, I think, hold on, time out. This isn't right. This can't be right. This can't be fair. Jesus is asking of me to do something that just doesn't seem fair. And would you convict me for wanting fairness and justice? I mean, I think this is what we all long for. We all long for equality. We all long for fairness. We all long for justice. Now, when I go back to the passage, like I said, he, he's really preaching this long sermon to this crowd of people. And when I back up and I look at the whole context, which I think is important for us, just as a side note, if you're reading scripture and there's something you don't understand, keep reading, keep reading, read before, read after, read the context, see everything that is going on. Don't just take that one verse. And so when I back up and I look at verse 17 and verse 20, here's what I find in Matthew chapter 5. It says this, verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have actually come to fulfill them. Verse 20, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now this is a very interesting passage because it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to speak into what Jesus was saying about loving your enemies. But first, let's talk about this for a moment. This idea of justice, the Hebrew word for justice is mispah. And he talks about the law and the prophets. And we saw that Jesus even addressed that, the idea of eye for an eye. The law and the prophets. One way to look at this is he's talking about the law and the prophets is this idea or the side of justice that we often think about as punitive justice. You know, if you harm me, then there's a consequence for you harming me. That is punitive justice. And this is right justice. This is good justice. But then he says, but I've come to fulfill the law. So Jesus' fulfillment of the law is the other side of justice. It is restorative justice. Restorative justice. And this is often the justice that we want from Jesus for us, but we often struggle to give and share with others. Justice is always about punishment, protection, care. It deals with the violator and the victim as well. So let's break this down for a minute. Let's go back and look at this passage. So in verse 38, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Where does this come from? This comes from the law in Exodus 21, Leviticus 24, Deuteronomy 19. And in the Old Testament, we see law and order. We see punitive justice. But Jesus flips the script. Jesus changes things here a little bit. And he says in verse 39, But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. He goes on to say in the following verses, Hey, if you get slapped, turn your cheek toward them and let them slap you on the other cheek. If you get sued for your shirt, go ahead and give them your coat. If someone forces you to walk a mile, walk that second mile. If someone is nagging you and begging you for money, keep giving them your money. And these all deal with practical outward circumstances. But I want to suggest to us today that the first place, the first place that we resist our enemies is in our heart. The first place that we resist our enemy is in our heart. So Jesus is saying here, do not resist an evil person. He gives these physical outward circumstances, but the reality is we begin to resist our enemies in our hearts. And, and this is kind of the point here that we're talking about today. Can we have a discipleship moment here for just a second? Would you guys let me do that for you, with you? This is for me and my family as much as it is for you. 
to be a Christ follower is to open the door of your heart, not just to Jesus, but to your enemies. Let me say that one more time. To be a Christ follower is not just to open the door of your heart to Jesus, but to your enemies. Verse 44 says this, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I mean, here's the deal. First he says, don't resist an evil person. And now Jesus is literally saying, it's not just about not resisting them, but it is about being proactive and loving them and praying for them. So if, 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 um, if eye for an eye and tooth for tooth is Old Testament punitive justice, then loving your enemies and praying for them is New Testament love and grace, restorative justice. A restorative justice always pursues the prosperity of another as the punitive justice pursues the punishment. So why is he asking this of us? I mean, we have to ask that question, right? Because we know this is hard. We know this seems somewhat unfair. This seems so difficult. So why is he asking this of us? Well, verse 45 says this, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. The rest of that verse says, he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Here's what I want you to know and understand. Our relationship with God is directly linked to our love for our enemies. Are you with me? Are you still there? Hopefully you haven't clicked away. But this really is a discipleship moment for many of us. As we think about dreaming in color as Christians, this is the deepest, most purest, most real way to understand the ethic of what it means to be a Christian. It is to love our enemies. Our relationship with God is directly linked to our love for our enemies. Now, I also find something very interesting about this particular verse in the second part where he talks about the sun rising and falling on the good and the evil. The sun does not actually rise on the good. And the rain does not actually fall on the righteous. I know, this is what the verse says, but Jesus is being cheeky with us. Jesus is being, dare I say, a bit sarcastic with us. Why would I say this? Well, Romans chapter 3 tells us there's no one righteous. There's no one righteous. Okay, yes, that's New Testament post-Jesus. Let's go back. Psalms 14. Jesus knows this scripture. Psalms 14. It says the Lord looks down from heaven onto the earth and he's looking for anyone that does good. And here's what the scripture says. There's no one. There's no one who does good. So when Jesus says he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, he's being cheeky, he's being sarcastic because he knows these are our categories that we make for each other. But this is not a category for Jesus. And Jesus is saying the sun does not actually rise. And if you want to be children of the Father, then you have to see that your relationship with me is actually directly linked to your love and your relationship with your enemies. Let me reiterate it. Let me re-emphasize it. Let me back it up with Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 11. Here's what it says. For while we were still weak, 
at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Are you righteous or unrighteous? Because it's saying that he only died for the ungodly, the unrighteous. For one, verse 7, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, verse 9, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Don't let that sweep over you. Let that sink in for just a moment. If we consider ourselves Christ followers, if we are saved, if we're born again, if we're Christians, if we love God, this is who we are. Those who were deserving of God's wrath, the ungodly, the still sinning, while Christ died for us. Verse 10, and this is where it gets real. You cannot escape this. Here it is. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. So we all have enemies, and so does God. Scripture clearly says that for those whom he died, we were once enemies. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Now, if we've been saved, if we've been reconciled, if we've been restored, the punitive justice that we deserve was put on Jesus. So that the restorative justice that we all long for is now available to us. This is God's love for us. Verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now been, or now we have received reconciliation, restoration, justice. And what is Jesus saying in Matthew 5? Well, the sun didn't rise and fall on the righteous or the unrighteous. I mean, according to Romans 5, I was the ungodly that Christ died for. God showed his love for me while I was still a sinner. I was saved from his wrath. I was an enemy of God reconciled back to him through his son. And there's this dichotomy that we often hold with those in our life that we are righteous and they are not. That we're good and they're not. And the fact is that we all are on level ground at the foot of the cross. We all are on level ground. If there was one thing you received from today, it would be this. I mean, if there's one thing you walked away from this message, if there's one thing you remember 24 hours from now, next week and a month from now, it would be this, that we would do for others, mainly our enemies, that which has been done for you. That we would do for our others, mainly our enemies, what has been done for you. Now, this is truth, and often when we are faced with truth, there's a bit of a dilemma because, at least for me, when I look at this truth and this reality, I think, wow, I don't know how to do that. This seems hard. This seems near impossible. Well, in Matthew 5 and verse 48, it says, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This kind of sounds oddly familiar to verse 20. So verse 48, he says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Verse 20, Jesus says, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And these kind of scriptures at first glance seem super frustrating. How can anyone do this? How can I be perfect? 
And not just perfect, but perfect like my Father in heaven. Or righteous like the Pharisees who were professional religious people. How is this even possible? Well, let me just say this. This is going to seem a little bit obvious, but I really believe that it's key in us grasping, I think, what Jesus would have us to grasp today. You can't give what you don't have. You cannot share what you do not possess. You can't give what you do not have. Here's what I mean. You cannot love enemies if you don't have love. Can you? If, if Jesus is calling us to love our enemies, then the reality is I cannot love my enemies if I don't have love to give. Here's the reality. Jesus is not asking us to manufacture love for our enemies. Jesus, we're not saying here today, as you're watching this video, whether you watch this on a Sunday morning, a Sunday night, a Monday morning, whenever it is that you're watching this, Jesus is not asking you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps to white-knuckle love for your enemies. What is he saying? I'm reminded of this passage in Revelation chapter 3. He's speaking to his church, specifically the church in Laodicea, and he says in verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. This is really important for us, and I feel like it's really important for me to share this with you as you're listening now. It can look and feel like you have a relationship with Jesus. He can be present on the property of your heart while you keep him locked out of the house of your heart. And what most of us have inevitably done in making sure we protect our hearts against enemies of our life is that we have left Jesus out there too. Behind the closed door of our hearts are the locks, the wood barricades, the brick walls to make sure that that enemy does not get in. And this call to open the door of your heart to let Jesus in is a call to restorative fellowship. It is not a call to, hey, open the door to your heart so I can come in and punish you. It is a call to open the door so that I can come in and be with you. So that I can be your place of safety. You are not safe inside your house. You are safe with me. Jesus is your safe place. He wants to restore that fellowship with you. Think about this. I think that what Jesus is saying to us is that he's calling us to a time as things were back in creation before the fall. He wants to walk in the garden of our life with us with that same kind of intimacy. Jesus, God, wants to have daily intimate fellowship with you, just like he did with Adam and Eve in the garden before they sinned. And it's because of verse 45, and it tells us, you are the children of Father in heaven. See, it's out of your identity that you can have intimacy. It's because of Jesus' sacrifice that we can serve. It's because we were an enemy of God, yet he still loved us, that we can love our enemies. See, Jesus doesn't just want to be in your house. He wants to be in charge of your house. He wants to be the Lord of your house. When you allow him to be the Lord of your house, listen, he will do the hard work, of your heart work. 
When you let him be the Lord of your house, he will do the hard work of your heart work. And I wonder this morning or today, whoever's listening, whenever you're listening, I wonder, do you hear his voice right now? Who is hearing him knocking at the door of your heart right now? Would you let him in? The truth is, when you let Jesus in, your enemies are not going to go away. You will still have enemies that come to your door, that try to invade your home, that try to... They either might be frenemies or it might be worse than that. But letting Jesus in empowers you to love your enemies like Jesus loved you. See, I believe that Jesus' love for you is the most powerful force in the world. And if you have Jesus' love inside your heart, I believe that anything is possible. How do I know that? I know that because His love went to the cross and took on Himself the punitive justice that you and I deserved so that He could fulfill the law and bring restorative justice that one day we might have intimate fellowship with our Creator as it once was in the garden. You cannot give to others what you do not have. And if you find it hard to love your enemies, if you, if you find it impossible to love your enemies, it's because you cannot give what you do not have. And if you do not have Jesus' love, then you have no love to give. And Jesus is not asking us to manufacture and make up and bootstrap and on our own strength and power, try and love enemies and try and be a good Christian. What he's asking is, would you let him come in and share his love with you? So that as you overflow from Jesus' love, there's plenty to share with those you might struggle to share with. Let Jesus give you his love today so that soon, one day, your enemies can also experience that kind of love through you. I want to invite you to pray with me. And I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer in three categories. For some of us, we need to repent. And what repenting looks like is, Jesus, I've kept you outside. And I'm repenting of that. I want to let you in. And for some of us, it's, we just need to take a step of faith. We need to go ahead and pull away the barriers that have blocked the door and just take a step of faith and open the door and let Jesus in. And for some of us, it's time to obey and to, and to begin daily asking God for the freedom to love your enemies. So would you join me in prayer? So Heavenly Father, we come to you now. There are people listening to this message, whether all on the same day or maybe a year from now, whenever they're listening to this message, Lord, it is from your word. And Lord, we repent of, of those times when we have, in an effort to protect our hearts from our enemies, Lord, we have also kept you out. And Lord, we want to we move forward in faith, trusting that when you come in, that when we open this door and you come in to be with us, to fellowship with us, knowing that we were once an enemy, and yet you still loved us. That in that, Lord, you'll give us the freedom and the power to love those who are against us. But even though they're against us, Lord, we can be for them. We can be for them because you are for us. 
And this is the power of love, that we might see our world changed, that we might see our city changed, that we might see our culture changed through the power of love that you first demonstrated for us on a cross. May this be real for us. May we, in a sense, Lord, may we upgrade our faith. As we're dreaming in color, may we see. May we see. Will you do that work in us? You are faithful to begin it. Are you faithful to, please be faithful to complete it in each and every one of us that we might experience your love in a radical new way that we might be able to give to others a radical kind of love that only comes from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.